Welcome to the Joe Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gonzalez. Joe Catholic is a lay apostolate formed in the fall of 2004 and then revamped to its current structure in the spring of 2009. According to the Second Vatican Council, the function of the apostolate is to influence the temporal order and cultural milieu into conformity with Christian ideals. It's in that light that our mission is to help equip everyday, ordinary people with the tools to evangelize and answer the universal call to holiness. We hope that this podcast helps do that and encourages you to pursue a deeper understanding of our rich Catholic faith. Welcome back to our special Sunday edition of the Joe Catholic Podcast when we share biblical commentary from the Navari Bible. Catholic Exegesis the Second Vatican Council teaches that if we are to derive the true meaning from the sacred text, attention must be devoted not only to their content, but to the unity of the whole of Scripture, the living tradition of the entire Church, and the analogy of faith. Everything to do with the interpretation of Scripture is ultimately subject to the judgment of the Church, which exercises the divinely conferred communion and ministry of watching over and interpreting the Word of God. De Verbum 12. We believe that the exegetical approach taken by the authors of the Navari Bible precisely models this message. Thursday, November 1st, 2018, Solemnity of All Saints. Thursday, November 1st, 2018, Solemnity of All Saints. Today's Gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. The commentary is taken from St. Matthew's Gospel, the Novare Bible, published by Scepter Publishers, 2005, pages 47 through 50. Commentary The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 1. The Discourse or Sermon on the Mount takes up three full chapters of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. It is the first of five great discourses of Jesus which appear in this Gospel and contains a considerable amount of our Lord's teaching. It is difficult to reduce this discourse to one single theme, but the various teachings it contains could be said to deal with these five points. One. The attitude a person must have for entering the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, Jesus and his teaching, the fullness of the law. 2. Uprightness of intention in religious practices. Here the Our Father would be included. 3. Trust in God's fatherly providence. 4. How God's children should behave towards one another. Not judging one's neighbor, respect for holy things, the effectiveness of prayer, and the golden rule of charity. 5. The conditions for entering the kingdom. The narrow gate, false prophets, and building on rock. Chapter 5, verse 2. He taught them. This refers both to the disciples and to the multitude, as can be seen at the end of the sermon. Chapter 5, verses 3 
through 12. The Beatitudes form, as it were, the gateway to the Sermon on the Mount. In order to understand the Beatitudes properly, we should bear in mind that they do not promise salvation only to the particular kinds of people listed here. They cover everyone whose religious dispositions and moral conduct meet the demands which Jesus lays down. In other words, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who suffer persecution in their search for holiness. These are not different people or kinds of people, but different demands made on everyone who wants to be a disciple of Christ. Similarly, salvation is not being promised to different groups in society, but to everyone, no matter what his or her position in life, who strives to follow the Spirit and to meet the demands contained in the Beatitudes. All the Beatitudes have an eschatological meaning, that is, they promise a definitive salvation not in this world, but in the next. But the spirit of the Beatitudes does give us, in this life, peace in the midst of tribulation. The Beatitudes imply a completely new approach, quite at odds with the usual way man evaluates things. They rule out any kind of they rule out any kind of pharisaical religiosity, which regards earthly happiness as a blessing from God and a reward for good behavior, and unhappiness and misfortune as a form of punishment. In all the ages, the Beatitudes put spiritual good on a much higher plane than material possessions. The healthy and the sick, the powerful and the weak, the rich and the poor, all are called independently of their circumstances, to the deep happiness that is experienced by those who live up to the Beatitudes which Jesus teaches. The Beatitudes do not, of course, contain the entire teaching of the Gospel, but they do contain, in embryo, the whole program of Christian perfection. Chapter 5, verse 3. The text outlines the connection between poverty and the soul. This religious concept of poverty was deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Refer to Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 3 and following. It was more to do with the religious attitude of neediness and of humility towards God than with material poverty. That person is poor who has recourse to God without relying on his own merits and who trusts in God's mercy to be saved. This religious attitude of poverty is closely related to what is called spiritual childhood. A Christian sees himself as a little child in the presence of God, a child who owns nothing. Everything he has comes from God and belongs to God. Certainly, spiritual poverty, that is, Christian poverty, means one must be detached from material things and practice austerity in using them. God asks certain people, religious, to be legally detached from ownership and thereby bear witness to others of the transitoriness of earthly things. Chapter 5, verse 4. Those who mourn. 
Here our Lord is saying that those are blessed who suffer from any kind of affliction, particularly those who are genuinely sorry for their sins or are pained by the offenses which others offer God and who bear their suffering with love and with a spirit of atonement. You are crying? Don't be ashamed of it. Yes, cry. Men also cry like you, when they are alone and before God. Each night, says David, I soak my bed with tears. With those tears, with those burning manly tears, you can purify your past and supernaturalize your present life. St. Jose Maria, The Way, point number 216. The Spirit of God will console with peace and joy even in this life. Those who weep for their sins and later he will give them a share in the fullness of happiness and glory in heaven. These are the blessed. Chapter 5, verse 5. The Meek Those who patiently suffer unjust persecution, those who remain serene, humble, and steadfast in adversity, and do not give way to resentment or discouragement. The virtue of meekness is very necessary in the Christian life. Usually, irritableness, which is very common, stems from a lack of humility and interior peace. The earth. This is usually understood as meaning our heavenly fatherland. Chapter 5, verse 6. The notion of righteousness or justice in Holy Scripture is an essentially religious one. Reference notes on Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 3, verse 15, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, chapter 3, 21 through 22, Chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, and verse 24. A righteous person is one who sincerely strives to do the will of God, which is discovered in the commandments, in one's duties of state in life, and through one's life of prayer. Thus righteousness, in the language of the Bible, is the same as what nowadays is usually called holiness. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 29. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Revelation, chapter 22, verse 11. Genesis, chapter 15, verse 6. Deuteronomy, chapter 9, verse 4. As St. Jerome comments in the commentary on Matthew, book 5, paragraph 6, in the fourth beatitude, our Lord is asking us not to simply have a vague desire for righteousness. We should hunger and thirst for it. That is, we should love and strive earnestly to seek what makes a man righteous in God's eyes. A person who genuinely wants to attain Christian holiness should love the means that the church, the universal vehicle of salvation, offers all men and teaches them to use. Frequent use of the sacraments, an intimate relationship with God in prayer, a valiant effort to meet one's social, professional, and family responsibilities. Chapter 5, verse 7. 
Mercy is not just a matter of giving alms to the poor, but also a being understanding towards other people's defects, overlooking them, helping them cope with them, and loving them despite whatever defects they may have. Being merciful also means rejoicing and suffering with other people. Chapter 5, verse 8 Christ teaches us that the source of the quality of human acts lies in the heart, that is, in a man's soul, in the depth of his spirit. When we speak of a person's heart, we refer not just to his sentiments, but to the whole person, in his loving dealing with others. In order to help us understand divine things, Scripture uses the expression heart in its full meaning as the summary and source, expression and ultimate basis of one's thoughts, words, and actions. A man is worth what his heart is worth. St. Jose Maria Escriva, Christ is Passing By, point 164. Cleanliness of heart is a gift of God, which expresses itself in a capacity to love, in having an upright and pure attitude to everything noble. As St. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Helped by God's grace, a Christian should strive to cleanse his heart and acquire this purity, the reward for which is the vision of God. Chapter 5, verse 9 The translation Peacemakers well conveys the active meaning of the original text. Those who foster peace, in themselves and in others, and as a basis for that, try to be reconciled and to reconcile others with God. Being at peace with God is the cause and the effect of every kind of peace. Any peace on earth, not based on this divine peace, would be in vain and misleading. They shall be called sons of God. This is an Hebraism often found in sacred scripture. It is the same as saying, they will be sons of God. St. John's first letter, chapter 3, verse 1, provides a correct exegesis of this beatitude. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Chapter 5, verse 10. What this beatitude means, then, is, Blessed are those who are persecuted because they are holy, or because they are striving to be holy. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thus, blessed is he who suffers persecution for being true to Jesus Christ, and who does so not only patiently, but joyfully. Circumstances arise in a Christian's life that call for heroism, where no compromise is admissible. Either one stays true to Jesus Christ, whatever the cost in terms of reputation, life, or possessions, or one denies him. St. Bernard, in Sermon on the Feast of All Saints, says that the Eighth Beatitude 
is, as it were, the prerogative of Christian martyrs. Every Christian who is faithful to Jesus' teaching is, in fact, a martyr, a witness, who reflects or acts in accordance with this beatitude, even if he does not undergo physical death. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. The Beatitudes are the conditions Jesus lays down for entering the kingdom of heaven. This verse, in a way, summing up the preceding ones, is an invitation to everyone to put this teaching into practice. The Christian life, then, is no easy matter, but it is worthwhile, given the reward that Jesus promises. This concludes the commentary on this week's Gospel reading. We encourage our listeners to purchase the Navari Bible for personal study. You may purchase copies at your local Catholic bookstore or order directly from scepterpublishers.org. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week for the Navari Bible Commentary. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like us on your preferred podcast listening platform. Also, please consider financially supporting our podcast by making a monthly contribution of $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99. You can do so by clicking the purple button at anchor.fm slash Catholic. If you would like to see show notes or learn more about the Joe Catholic Apostolate, please go to our website, thejoecatholic.org. Thanks again for listening to the Joe Catholic Podcasts.